It's an honor to uh, introduce uh, our preacher this evening, uh, Bishop Will Williman. Um, Bishop Williman is uh, a professor in the Divinity School of Duke University. Uh, during his lifetime, he was a graduate of Wofford College, of Yale Divinity School, and Emory University. He served as a pastor in South Carolina. He served as the minister of Duke Chapel for many years and as a professor of worship uh, in the Divinity School. Pam and I had uh, Will as a professor in worship class uh, some time ago. And, uh, <laughs> and so the class was on a Tuesday afternoon. Will was serving a church in Greenville, South Carolina, and he would fly to Durham once a week to teach worship. Uh, and so one day after class, I just asked him, uh, what does your local church think of you teaching worship at Duke? Thinking he would say, oh, they feel good about the connection, or they're proud of me. And I remember his answer was, he looked at me and said, you know, most churches don't know what their minister does on Tuesday. <laughs> uh, so this is a Wednesday, I think, but he's here with us. Uh, praise God. Uh, he's been uh, on the list, uh, a prominent list of the most effective preachers uh, in the English language and has preached literally all over the world uh, in every kind of setting. Um, he served as the bishop of the North Alabama Conference uh, and is author of a number of books on a wide range of subjects. Uh, we're really blessed to have, would you join me in welcoming uh, Bishop Will Williman. Hey, thank you. <clears throat> To my dear former student, Ken, thanks for this great honor to be before your conference as preacher tonight. Uh, to the Florida conference, too, thank you for your generosity in sharing your bishop with the rest of us during this momentous time in the life of our church. Uh, thank you. In a time like our church is going through, the Ken's kind of non-anxious presence, his serene confidence, words that have never been used about me, uh, <laughs> have been wonderful. You remember those old uh, movies where there was a transatlantic flight, and uh, in the middle of the night, the captain's voice would come over and say, we got a problem with the left engine. Prepare yourselves, we might have to make a crash landing into the ocean. And always on the plane, there was like a, an ex-priest uh, who had been defrocked, and he was telling the passenger next to him about why he'd left the church and everything. And as the plane was going down, the passenger would say, Oh, Father, can't you do something for us? And he would pull himself together, and he would stand up in a non-anxious, gentle way. He would have lead the plane in prayer and the uh, 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 engine would be fixed 
uh, during the prayer. And uh, Ken is that priest that... Um, I, on the other hand, I, on the other hand, and the, the Methodist preacher on the plane who says, we're all going to die. It's going down. Give me a life jacket. Um, that leads me to tonight's scripture, uh, which I thought about when I thought about you. And I think this scripture is about you. Uh, hear the gospel. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. And he said to them, Oh, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers unto his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet nobody on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid. Don't move from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, my sermon has got two points, neither original with me. One, we are sent. Two, together. Uh, when Jesus calls you to him, it's always for the purpose of sending you away from him. Uh, I teach, for years I've taught a class to Duke undergraduates called Jesus, the most interesting person in the world. And uh, during registration, some undergraduate asked me, what, what are you going to do, try to proselyte us, try to make Christians out of us? And I said, in love, uh, you obviously don't know anything about Christians, do you? I'm a Methodist. It's been so long since we proselyted anybody, we forgot how. Your atheism is safe with me. Uh, but anyway... Before the first class, I would assign the students to read straight through the Gospel of Mark, start to finish. And then, first class, I would say to them, now Mark gives away his whole program in the first verse. I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, who can define God for me? And then the class shouts out, various divine attributes. God is omnipotent, omniscient. God can do anything God wants to do. God's all-powerful. And I write these on the board. Then I say to the class, now you read the Gospel of Mark. Can you think of some episode from the Gospel of Mark that shows that Jesus is the kind of God that we expected, the God that is worthy of worship from people 
like us. Now, can, can you think any episodes? Zombie-like stares. <laughs> Finally, one student says, you know, that, that bothered me the way the thing began. Jesus begins his work, and the first thing he does is he calls these 12 yokels who got no theological training, and when you get through the rest of the book, you find out they don't even have any talent for being disciples. And, and like, I mean, like, if, if he's God and he wants to change the world, how come he doesn't just change the world? And I said, I gather you've never worked with Jesus. This is the way he gets stuff done. There's, there's something about the kind of God that Jesus is that he chooses whatever he wants to do, he chooses not to do it alone. Uh, in tonight's scripture, after calling these 12, uh, next thing Jesus does is he calls 70 and he interestingly sends them out ahead of him uh, where he's about to go and he sends these advanced men out in pairs uh, sent together my two points write those down they'll be on the exam uh, first, sent. Uh, the word mission, Latin, missio, it means simply sent. To be in mission is to be externally authorized. It is to be sent. Jesus is the great delegator. Whatever God wants to do in the world, any wrong that God wants set right, any evil that God wants transformed into good, God chooses to do it with a bunch of ordinary people that are sent out for an outrageous mission. I'm sorry if you've been told that Jesus is come to help us with our problems. No, Jesus is here to enlist you to help him with his mission. Uh, and I know that somebody has probably told you that Jesus is here to make your life easier. Well, you got a bunch of people in the room and I could tell you they had a nice life before they met Jesus. And The most stressful component to being in the church is not how to get along with church people. It, it's, it's how to get along with Jesus and his stress. Uh, you can't give your life to Christ. He takes it. You, you cannot take Jesus into your heart. He takes you places. It's this... There's a reason we don't know anything about the life of Jesus for the first 30 years. Because, as, as if to say, it's not important about his family and his adolescent development. The important thing 
was his mission. He's all mission. Every time Jesus says, come unto me, that seems to be balanced by Jesus saying in effect, go, get out of here. Don't just hang around Judea. I want it all. I want it all back. And, and guess who's going to get it for me? Uh, and go, make disciples. How we do that? Baptizing, teaching them everything I've commanded you, even the stuff about forgiving enemies, everything. Teach them everything. And lo, I am with you always. <laughs> Just to make darn sure you do it. Uh, it's all mission. I think the unique gift, the unique gift of Wesleyan Christianity is that to the church Catholic is that we at our best have linked love of Christ with obedience to the mission of Christ. For us, salvation is always linked to vocation. Uh, and my evidence for that is you. Tonight, Jesus, the great delegator. I remember the woman who came out of church one Sunday and she said, I've had a hellish week. I came here, to, my son is drinking again. The boss has been impossible at work. I came here seeking some comfort and consolation. And I said, well, I hope you received it. And she said, not particularly. <laughs> she said, I came here seeking consolation only to have Jesus give me an assignment. <laughs> the people here tonight who know just what she's talking about. Some of you think you're here because your church said, hey, you're retired, you got nothing to do. <laughs> Why don't you go to Lakeland Annual Conference, okay? You be our delegate. No, I think you're here because Jesus put you here. And, and that's, that is why you cannot hire a Methodist preacher. They're sent because we believe all Christians are sent. You didn't decide to be here. You were summoned, commissioned, authorized, employed, deployed, sent. You being a disciple was God's idea before it was yours. I, I love the Church of the Reconciler in Birmingham. It's a congregation of, for, by, with homeless people. And the Church of the Reconciler serves breakfast every morning of the week to the people who live on the streets of Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, with the help of, of Methodist churches in the area. And I dropped by one uh, Tuesday morning breakfast, and I walked through the kitchen, and I noticed a guy at the sink, hands up in the dishwasher water, washing dishes, because the pastor of the church reconciler thinks it's too much being homeless, you know, with having to eat off styrofoam plates and all, and so they have china and they have glassware, so somebody, so he's there washing these dishes, and I say, hey, don't I know you? And, uh, and I recognized him as a lawyer who is a member of one of our big congregations 
uh, most affluent congregations in Birmingham. And uh, I, he said, I said, I know you, Doc. And he says, yeah, I know you. And I said, um, well, I, I just think it's wonderful. I mean, what you're doing here, 6.30 in the morning, washing dishes for the homeless, that, that's beautiful. And he didn't look up from his work, says, good. And I said, hey, have, have you always enjoyed working with the homeless? And he looked at me and he says, who told you I enjoyed working with the homeless? <laughs> he said, have you ever met any of the homeless? Said, most of them are crazy and the rest of them are addicted. Said, they, they're homeless because nobody wants them at home. I said, oh, well, um, that makes all the more amazing that here you are washing dishes for the home. How did you get here? And he said, Jesus put me here. How did you get to Alabama? Um, and I tell you, as demanding as being sent is, it can also be a great blessing. Because when they complain, you're not the best Bible teacher in the world, or uh, you're the lousiest excuse for a youth worker we ever saw, or you're not a non-anxious bishop, or stuff like <laughs> you, you, you can say to them, take it up with the Lord. My being in this ministry was God's idea of a good time, not mine. Uh, sent. Which leads me to point two. Together. Jesus never sends anybody out alone. If we're going to be saved... It's going to have to be as a group. Tonight's scripture, please note, maybe one of the most challenging aspects of this scripture is that phrase, he sent them two by two in pairs. Uh, sorry if you think religion is a personal matter, something between me and the Lord, just between us two, uh, no, John Wesley thunders, Rel religion, Christianity is a social religion. To turn it into a private affair is to destroy it. Mission is never a solo activity. Russ Richard, a scholar of Methodism, says that that image we have of the Methodist circuit rider, you know, there the man on the horse set against the sunset, leaning over a book, reading as he's trudging out through the wilderness. He said, that's wrong, that Francis Asbury knew that Jesus' mission was so demanding, he always sent out the circuit riders at least two by two, usually in groups of three or four. Or they spread out and they went out alone and they started faith communities and all, but at least every week or so, they all got back together for prayer and accountability and conversation this, there's something, we, this ministry is meant to be done together. The assignments Jesus gives us are too tough to be done alone. 
Jesus warns us in tonight's scripture. No false advertising with Jesus. I'm sending you out like lambs amidst wolves. You won't have a big salary. You won't have political power to back you up. So you get you a buddy. Don't go out into the deep water alone. And at our best, this is us together. I, one of my, my introduction to ordaining a leadership class, those who can't teach, uh, and uh, so I'm doing my usual thing with the students, you know, and criticizing the church and telling them you probably don't have all that it takes to succeed in ministry for the following reasons. And, and just we were getting lower and lower and lower. And finally, a student from Florida spoke up and said, um, I'm kind of excited about getting to lead the church. And she said, I've just come back from a meeting of my Board of Ordained Ministry in Florida. And they said to me, hey, we need you. When are you going to be finishing up? Next year? Can you get done any quicker? We need you back here. We got work we need you to do. We, we got plans for you. And she said, I am so excited that they want me to be one of the ones that leads the church into the future. That, that's a healthy church. Uh, mission is too demanding to do alone, and so we do it in pairs, at least. Uh, was with a group of pastors, and we were doing what pastors do when there's no laity there. Um, <laughs> complaining about laity. <laughs> and the pastors were saying, it's hard to hire church staff. It's hard to hold people accountable. It's so hard, the financial leadership, that's difficult. And, and, all. and the big-time church consultant there said, you know, what's sad is that God has already sent you the people, your people, that... God has called to do the very jobs you have no training to do and you're not called to do and yet you are too arrogant to partner with them in ministry. Ooh. Uh, it's meant to be done together. Uh, and yet, to be perfectly truthful, even though our president can't, to be perfectly truthful. Um, maybe, maybe the, hush, maybe the most demanding aspect of tonight's scripture is that in pairs. Uh, I tell you, your biggest challenge is not simply to sit through the boring reports that come before the annual conference. Uh, your biggest challenge is to do the work here together. Uh, I know as a bishop, I never had a Methodist preacher quit the ministry because of Jesus. I mean, you'd think they would. 
You'd think they'd say, you know, he just raises the bar every week. He's just too demanding. I can't continue to work for such a demanding boss. No. The reason they hand in their credentials and throw in the towel is you, the laity. They love Jesus. They just can't stand any of his friends. Uh, Uh, when I became bishop, they would sometimes ask me, now, what do you miss most about your life in academia now that you have life as a church bureaucrat here in Alabama? And I'd think about that, and, and I said, you know, the thing I miss most is the Duke University Office of Undergraduate Admissions. Because through their good work, they ensured that I could spend every day on campus with people, talking with them, working with them, with people who were just like me. And they had all been equally successful in manipulating the American educational system to their personal advancement. And it was wonderful. We agreed with each other. We built a consensus on so many things. Well, in the church, Jesus won't let us have an admissions committee. We got to work with anybody he drags in the door. And the, come on now, be honest. You wish that Bishop Carter had allowed you to choose who could be delegates to annual conference, Did you, don't you? Well, Bishop Carter refused. Therefore, you're here with a room of people that you've got nothing in common with, people with whom you have huge theological disagreements, people that you've got nothing to bring you together except a Savior who delights in saying to people, hey, you, go be church with her. My first church in rural Georgia. Oh, there's not much more rural than rural Georgia. And, um, well, fresh out of seminary. I w it was a fight in the parking lot after a wedding. Uh, during a discussion at a board meeting, somebody went out to his truck, got his pistol, and brought it back in. I had never seen anything like this. And I was pouring out my heart to my professor at Emory and about the tragedy of someone with my gifts and training being stuck out there <laughs> with people like that. I had never seen, I grew up in a big downtown Methodist church. I'd never seen anything like it. And he sympathized with me about the injustice of it all. And then Professor Hunter said, and he said, you know, the worst part about it is Jesus says that those tax collectors and whores get to go into the kingdom before us good people. And then he said, Lord, what are we going to do in heaven? Uh, this is just me, but I'm sorry. I don't get this talk of gracious exit. I feel about gracious exit the way I felt as a pastor about a friendly divorce. It just didn't seem right. Uh, in your local congregation, you already know 
how to fight like Christians. You, you know how to have angry, fierce disagreements with people with whom you would have never been church with is if Jesus had let you choose. It, it, a lot of the things that divided us so at the so-called special general conference, it amazes me that most of you have, are working that out right now in your local churches. Some of you are working it out in ways I wish you wouldn't, but you're working it out. And it, it just, maybe they're just some things that, that ought not to be debated or voted on or discussed, except among people who were determined to hold their disagreements in trust with a Lord who says, okay, does anyone else want to say anything on this subject? Fine, come to the table. Yeah. Um, in your local church, every one of you has found a way to worship Jesus with people with whom you did not choose to worship Jesus. Uh, I had to learn this. As a young pastor, I remember I got into an altercation with this right-wing layman. He was so far to the right, he would drive down the road with both right tires in the ditch. I mean, just really <laughs> far to the right. And, uh, and I told him, I said, you are wrong on this issue. The, the way you, this is the way you, your closed-mindedness and the way you talk, it, it's just wrong. And then he said to me, well, preacher, I guess you've got a problem, don't you? <laughs> I said, a problem? He said, yeah. You've got to figure out why Jesus would have called somebody like me to be his disciple, don't you? <laughs> and then he said, maybe Jesus, never thought about this, he said, but Maybe Jesus has sent me to you to expand your limited notions of the kingdom of God. <laughs> now do you understand why we dislike laity sometimes? Uh, the most challenging part of annual conference is not how to find the stamina to sit through everything. The greatest challenge is to find a way to do your work for Jesus together. If we can't figure out a way to work with assent, then we're always in danger of cutting ourselves off from the sender. Tom Long told me about this urban church. They had been having difficulties the past few years, but they were found themselves surrounded by a lot of homeless people who spent the night on the sidewalks and in the alleyways around the church. So they had begun this practice of just opening up the church in the evening for those who wanted to come in to a warm place, sleep on the pews. They had organized, they served meals three nights a week at the church for their guests. And uh, they had really found a, a mission. But the pastor got a letter from the insurance company. And the insurance company said, it has come to our attention 
that you have your church unsecured at night and that you've got people wandering around in the building at night. This is wrong. You must lock up your church every night and you must promise us that you will do this or we'll drop your insurance. So the pastor told the board, well, it looks like that ministry is ending. Uh, this mission has got to be terminated because the insurance company spoken and we got a problem and we got to lock the church. One of the members of the board said, hey, I spent 30 years teaching public school, junior high school. This is not a problem. <laughs> Pastor, I'll fix it. And he said, how? She said, don't worry about it. I said, we'll fix it, okay? So leaving the church the next afternoon, he noticed there was a sign on the front door of the church. And there was a great big red arrow that pointed downward. And he walked up there, and the sign on the front door of the church said, Jesus, if you need to get into your church tonight, the key's under this rock. God has told us what is good and what the Lord requires from us to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. By the mercies of God, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. We will deny ourselves Take up our cross and follow Christ. And as we go, we will make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as we will teach them to obey everything Christ has commanded us. Amen. And now receive this benediction and look forward to seeing you in the morning. Go now in peace to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. Bear witness to the love of God in this world so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you generous friends. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen.